once again, it's wonderful to be here. It seems that uh, maybe a Nebraska allergy has jumped on me. Um, not used to this good weather. I've been from Texas and we have hot weather and sand and dust. But I think I can get through it. If you can endure it, I will. We've had a wonderful series of lessons so far. I appreciate very much your enthusiasm for them. Tonight we have chosen to speak on the topic of self-inflicted blindness. You know, we have five senses. That hearing and seeing and smelling and tasting and touching. And any survey that you'll ever see, the one sense that people would hate to lose the most is their sight. In fact, it'll run about 70% say, that's the one I don't want to lose. And you come down to these others and they're just single digits down to touch being like 2%. So everyone realizes the importance of sight. And when you study the New Testament, have you noticed the number of times that Jesus healed the blind? That was one of the most popular things that he did, healing the blind, because never had there been a cure for that. And Jesus was it. And even today, today if we have serious sight Problems, it's hard to find healing for serious sight problems today. So be thankful for your 2020. And if you're down to 2200, then you're legally blind. You're legally blind. And, you know, we, we see folks that have that condition and but the first thing that we do is say, boy, I'm glad I don't have that condition. I don't know if that's the right response or not, but it just shows how important sight is to us to see our loved one's face, to see a majestic sunset, or to see the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains, to see all the marvelous things God has created. To see that big, bright moon we've had the last few nights. What a wonderful, wonderful thing sight is. So why would anyone intentionally inflict impairment to their sight? We'd say, something must be wrong with you. Because we do everything possible to preserve our sight. And if we have impaired sight, we try to get it corrected. We try to use some kind of surgery or some kinds of lens, something in medication to get it corrected. But I'm really not that concerned about physical sight tonight. I want to read, first of all, in Matthew chapter 13. And we'll read a few verses. We'll go over to the um, 15th chapter. And we'll 
read a verse and we'll go to the book of Ephesians and we'll read a verse and I may make some comment on these but I'm really going to be in Luke chapter 18 tonight. Luke chapter 18. But let's start here in Matthew and notice what it said. Jesus has been teaching in parables and his disciples are wanting to know why do you teach in these parables? And he says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Have you ever used the expression, I see? Meaning to comprehend, I comprehend or I understand. He says, there's some folks that can't see. They can't comprehend what's going on here. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart is grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. Now, they have closed their eyes. That's self-inflicted blindness. The reason they can't see is because they've done it to themselves. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So here's Jesus. I've come down from heaven. I've stood among men. They have seen the miracles that I perform. They have heard the words that I have declared. But as soon as they saw them, they closed their eyes and said, I don't, I don't want to believe that. They plugged their ears and said, I don't want to hear any more of that. Self-inflicted blindness. And now they can't understand. And why did he say they did it? Because of the dullness or the hardness of their heart. The hardness of their heart. Let's go over now to the 15th chapter. And down in verse 14, this is what it says. He was speaking to his disciples. And he said, there's some folks, because they have intensely turned away from seeing me and hearing me, notice what he said, let them alone. Let, don't mess with them. They've already hardened their hearts. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch or into the pit. Let them alone. You can get your heart so hard that you can't see the truth. You can have your ears become so dull that they would not receive the gospel news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the day will come, are you listening? When Jesus will say, let them alone can't do anything. Their heart is hard. Let's go now to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, if you will. And in chapter 4, notice, I'll just pick out a couple of verses, verses 17 and 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. 
You're Christians now. Don't walk as the pagans. Don't live like the heathen. You're Christians. In the futility of their mind, they think they're having a good time. They're going out and partying and carousing and cheating and beating and they think they're having a good time. Don't live like them. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Their hearts got so hard that they wouldn't listen to the gospel. They thought this lifestyle they had was a great lifestyle. And so here came the, here came the apostle Paul and he was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said, but their hard hearts would not listen. They would not open their eyes to see. They were spiritually blind. Have you met them? Have you met them? The spiritually blind. You said to them, let's read about Jesus. Let's talk about the church. Let's see what Jesus has to say about how we should live out of his book, the Bible. And they'll say, I'm not interested. I don't believe that. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe you ought to live any kind of life you want to live, and then when you die, that's it. You really believe that? Do you really believe that? That you're no better than a skunk that's been squashed in the middle of the road? That's it? That's it? Can people harden their hearts to that extent? Can they become so blind that they cannot see the existence of God? The existence of man from creation? Right on. And the Bible says, yes, they can. They can get that hard. Now for emphasis in tonight's lesson, we're going to go to Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to spend my time reading Luke chapter 18 in your hearing. You follow along, Luke chapter 18. Now here's what we're looking for. We're on a scavenger hunt. We're a detective. We want to spot some people who are spiritually blind. And I'm going to try to just stay in Luke chapter 18. And we will also see if we can find anyone that has understanding. Correct understanding, able to see, able to see God, able to see their fellow man, able to see spiritual things. So are you ready for the journey in Luke chapter 18? And when you go home and tomorrow or next week, you say, well, I want to refresh my mind on what the preacher had to say the other night. Just open to Luke chapter 18. And read through it. See what you get out of it. We'll see what we can glean tonight. So do you have your harvest hands ready? Is the machine fired up? We're going to see. Are there anyone, anyone, is there anyone in this particular section who is spiritually and is self-inflicted blind? And he told them a parable to this effect that they ought always to pray 
and not to lose heart. He said, a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Are you, are you with me? Are you with me? Trying to find somebody spiritually blind. Here was a judge, neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now know most of the time when you're a preacher, you read this section right here to talk about prayer and being continual in prayer. Not giving up, being continual in prayer. That's the reason we read it. But I'm not reading it for that reason tonight. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now we're talking about self-inflicted spiritual blindness. We have a man that, uh, we could call him a politician. We could call him an official. He is a judge. And in his judgeship, he has decided there is no God because he said, I don't respect him. And I don't care much for my fellow man, his creation. Now, how many would like a judge like that to be deciding their case? He doesn't respect God. He's spiritually blind. And the first thing you'll start doing when you say, I don't believe in God, you'll start treating your fellow man as you ought not. He said, I don't even respect my fellow man. Now why, judge? Judge, why are you spiritually blind? I want to know that. Well, because I'm a big shot. I got things going my direction. I don't need some supreme being over me. I am superior. I really don't need that. I have everything going for me that I need. And so, we have a man, because of his position, because of his prominence, his political standing has decided, concerning that God thing and how to treat your fellow man, I'm blind to that. You got that point? Let's move ahead. It says, verse 9, he also, I'm in chapter 18 of Luke, Everybody got that? Okay. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, friends, you know that you're not righteous, right with God, right with your fellow man without being right with Jesus Christ. But notice, it says they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They knew how to do the right thing and they would always do the right thing and you could never find them doing anything wrong because what they did was right in their own mind. And it says, 
The first thing they started doing when they got to thinking that about themselves was treating their fellow man bad. You see that? Treat others with contempt. So it says in verse number 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, huh? I'm wondering if this man that thought he was so righteous and treated others with contempt, I wonder if it'd be the Pharisee. And then I think, well, it couldn't be the Pharisee because they were the most elite religious folks, never more than 7,000 of them at one time. They were the epitome of what you ought to be religiously in their own mind. I'm not saying in God's mind, but in their own mind, you couldn't be more religious than a Pharisee. So it surely wasn't talking about him, was it? One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. Well, maybe it was a tax collector then that thought himself so righteous. I can tell you how much tax money to give me. If I want to rob out of the uh, tax bag, I can do that. Maybe it was a tax collector that was treating others so poorly and not the Pharisee. Let's, let's read and find out. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Oh, so we have a man here who's telling God how great he is. How good it was that God had him on his team. You see that? If you don't believe it, watch what he says now. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I'm one of the good ones. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this man, whoa, I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, you mean the Pharisee wasn't justified? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You think that man may have? had some self-inflicted blindness, thinking how good he was, how great he was, how religious he was. And God said, I don't like him. I like that tax collector over there. Said, said God, be merciful to me a sinner. That's what I like. That man, that tax collector, can see more of what he is and how he needs salvation, God be merciful to me, a sinner, than this man over here that thought he had perfect religious vision. Let me stop right here. Christians, don't be over-evaluating yourself. I know that it's a tendency on the part of humanity to think that they are smarter than they really are. Have more of the world's goods than they really have. Be better looking than they really are. It's just a tendency for us to do that. And Christians, it can also 
problem for us to think that we are more religious, more closely knit with God than we, what does God think? What does God think? Not what do you think, what does God think? Would you, had you been judging this situation here, had stood back and said, well, two to one, the Pharisee wins over the tax collector. Or 10 to one, I give it to the Pharisee because he goes around every day and he prays long prayers and he has a chief seat in the synagogue. He has everything going, oh yeah. And what did God say? Don't even want to recognize him. Don't even want to recognize him. He was so blind to his condition. Why? Listen, why was he so blind spiritually? Because he was seemingly so religious. He thought he could quote more scripture. He thought he could worship more often. He thought he could give more. He thought he could look down on the underlings more regularly than anyone else. We need to really watch ourselves. I don't think it behooves any of us to be guilty of looking down on any of us. Do you? But let's continue. Let's continue. Seems that that man was really blind. I like this next section. And I guess I like this next se section because maybe I'm a grandpa. Maybe that's it. And you know you want good things to happen to your grandchildren. You was working so hard when you had those children that you just wanted to get them to grow up. But notice what it says. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, he, they rebuked them. So his own disciples said to the parents, don't be bringing those kids and bothering Jesus. Here's what he said. Jesus called them to him and said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And when we as preachers cite this particular section right here, we're usually giving a sermon on humility. On being humble. Humility. So he says there's some little children here that have the right attitude about the kingdom and about me and they will receive. Let them come to me. These Pharisees don't want anything. That unjust judge, he doesn't want anything to do with me. Let them come. Let them come. They're meek and lowly in heart. They can see who I am. They can hear my truth. Do you realize those of you who have, as we sometimes say, grown up in the church or been associated with Bible reading and Bible classes all your life, do you, do you know that most of what you now know you learned before you were 10 years of age? Most of what you remember Verses and stories and accounts out of the Bible, you remember it because of what you were taught before you were 10 years of age. That's true of me. I'm sure that's true of you. 
Let me give you something very sad. Are you listening? Some parents will not bring their little children to Bible classes. And as a result of that, those little children have nothing to remember when they're your age. They don't know about worship. They don't know about God. They don't know about Noah. They don't know about Jonah. They don't know about the Apostle Paul because they weren't here at that time. So sad, so sad. Jesus said, the little children can see me. Here's some of these old religious men out here. They can't see me. They don't comprehend what I'm doing. But the little children do. Out of the mouths of babes will come the truth. Let's go to another account. Same 18th chapter. In fact, I'm down in verse 18. And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you're still lacking. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult it is. You know, what is it the guy said? Money's not everything. The other guy said, yeah, but it's way over one second. Um, and we do have to have finance to live in this world. But when that finance occupies our life, obsesses us to the extent that it is the love of money, then we will do anything, even forsake God for it. Forsake God for it. I'm standing here right now seeing the face of a woman. And this goes back decades, 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 at least 40 years. She had been a, a mother and a housewife. Children had grown up some. So she decided to get a job. So she got a job. They had been mostly faithful to the church. I got a letter from that woman. Here's what she said in the letter. God has blessed me with a job. This job will require a lot of my time, so I won't have enough time to be worshiping God any longer. And then she added this, would you come up with a program for me that would keep me faithful to the Lord while being unable to worship with his saints? I wrote a very brief note and sent it back to her. It wasn't good grammar. It probably wasn't even a good approach. 
But I wrote back, dear so-and-so, ain't no such program. About seven years after that, I was called by that woman, and she was very faithful to her commitment to that work she had. Called by that woman to do the funeral for her 19-year-old son, who had, for the past seven years, not had any chance of going to worship because mom and dad didn't go now, and he didn't go. But on a given night, he had been to a girlfriend's house, they had been drinking, and he met his last breath, meeting a fast-moving oak tree. Became spiritually blind because of money. That's what this young man did. He said, I've got great wealth. I can't think about God. I can't think about his church. I can't think about going to heaven. All I can think about is my wealth, wealth. The young man, if he was 30 years old at this time, in 40 years, he would have been 70. And do you know what happened in 70 AD? Titus, the Roman general, surrounded the city of Jerusalem, utterly wiped everybody out there with the rich young ruler that was now an old ruler probably with plenty of money and they took all the gold lost his life 40 years later if he lived that long and lost all his gold they even burned the city and extracted the gold from the temple itself but he was spiritually blinded when he was 30 years old and he couldn't see don't give up on God because of your position. Don't give up on God because of your wealth. Don't give up on God because of your family or your friends. Don't become self-inflicted with blindness. Don't do it. We need to jump ahead. I'm in verse 31. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to the city of Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after being flogged, they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. Now watch what he says in verse 34. This is after three and a half years of being with the apostles. But they understood none of those things. They couldn't see it. They were spiritually blind to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even the apostles, this saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said, could not comprehend it because their previous thought, their prejudice in their mind said, we're following Jesus and he's going to be a great leader and we're going to get behind him and we're going to be his generals and we're going to wipe these Romans out one of these days and he's going to set up a kingdom here and we'll have a wonderful time. They couldn't comprehend. Very difficult to see when you have prejudice in your eyes. You know, there's some folks, you can talk to them about baptism, they say, I just can't see it. And it's because they've been made prejudiced by someone else that told them they didn't have to be baptized. Now, it wasn't the Lord that told them that, but some human being told them, you don't have to be baptized. 
When the Lord is shouting you to the top of his voice, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Some people say, well, you know, I don't have to worship. Who told you that? Did God tell you that? He, God said, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. But some people have become so spiritually blinded by what they've heard. You don't have to worship to go to heaven. You don't have to contribute to go to heaven. They've been told that so many times. They believe that lie. And they are so blind and so hard-hearted that it's hard to get them to see the truth. Even remembering Jesus Christ. God did not want us to forget his son. He said, I want my people, I want my people to assemble on the first day of the week and always remember my son. Remember what he did for them. Remember his body, remember his blood. Remember his death, burial, and resurrection. How long? Till he come again. And some people say, well, I don't need that communion. If I took that every Sunday, it'd just become such a mundane thing to me. I wouldn't even be thinking about it. Well, you better be thinking about it. God's thinking about you thinking about it. Don't become spiritual. Let, hurrying along. You know, I've been letting you guys out a little early. Have you noticed that? And I, by the way, not a one of you have said thank you for that either. So I may just bring the hammer down on you tonight. I'm in verse number 35. I would have thought that Scott would have sent me a thank you letter by now for letting him out early. You know what? You don't know who Scott is, do you? As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man. Now, what have we been talking about? Spiritual blindness, right? And how a lot of these folks in the 18th chapter could not see Jesus Christ for who he was. Now we come to a blind man. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. That's the only way he had to make a living. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. Here he hears this word. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Last night we talked about how the one request in the Bible more often than any other request was have mercy on me. Here it is right here. There's another one. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. I can see those people assembled around Jesus. He's going from Jericho to Jerusalem, about 20 miles. And here's a man who wants to stop him. And those assembled around Jesus said, you be quiet. Do you think maybe Peter, James, and John, a few of the apostles and some of the great followers would have said that? Now watch this. This, this is great, great. He told him, you need to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He's blind. What physician was going to heal him at that time? No one. His only opportunity was right now and the only one that could do him any good was Jesus Christ. So he said, I'm not listening to you, Peter or James or John or ever who else told him to be quiet. I'm not listening to you. Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. 
And I like this next verse. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. <laughs> How do you think those folks felt that it told that man, you hush up, you be quiet. And Jesus said, he's the only one that can see. He's blind, but he's the only one that can see who I really am and what I'm all about. I am the great redeemer. I'm the great savior. I'm the only one that can give him mercy. He's the only one that can see. And he was blind. All you sighted folks, you can't see it. And a blind man can see. He said, bring him over here. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you think he's going to say? Don't read, don't read ahead. What do you think he's going to do? Hey, would you give me a, a fish and chips, please? You think, you think he'd say, well, I've got this toenail that's giving me, you, would you, could, what do you think? I mean, we're bright enough, we can almost guess this, can't we? Jesus said, what do you want me to do? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Let me have my sight. Will you do that? And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Recover your sight. Let me tell you something. That blind man was spiritually 2020 before he was ever healed of his blindness. He had heard somewhere along the road, someone talking about what Jesus had done in other villages and how he had restored the sight. He had heard it. And he jumped at once and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want, Jesus said? Would you recover my sight? And Jesus said, your sight has been recovered. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, gave praise to God. Let me tell you something about this. When you see Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world that came down because God so loved you that he allowed his son to die and the son willingly going to the cross, when you see that, and you see your own sinfulness and realize there's no human being on this earth can wipe away your sin and make you pure as a little infant, then you want to go to Jesus. You want to go to Jesus because he can do it. And you can get over that spiritual blindness. But as long as you allow your position in life, you know, my peers won't understand me becoming a Christian. My family won't understand me becoming a Christian. As long as you allow something to stay in your way, you will continue to be a spiritually blind person. There's a song, I don't even know if it's in this book. Open my eyes that I may see. Open my eyes that I may see. God has a lot of riches for you. He has a lot of blessings for you. But you've got to open your eyes. And as long as you say, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to watch. 
When you was a little kid and your mother or someone said, get over here, Johnny. This is just for you who are named John tonight. Get over here, Johnny. And Johnny got over there and said, Mom said, I'm going to tell you. And he said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Sometimes we cover our eyes and say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I want to talk about how good I am. How great I am for God. How much I have. I, want to talk. I don't want to hear about this other. As long as that's our attitude, then we are going to remain spiritually blind. But it's self-inflicted. And if you show up in the judgment, having never named the name of Christ in your life, having never put your Lord on in baptism, you won't be able to blame someone else. It's his fault. No, you had self-inflicted spiritual blindness. You stuck your own fingers in your ears and in your eyes and would not open to the truth. Luke chapter 18. Some blind people there, but there was a blind man that taught us a lesson. And may you follow that lesson all the days of your life. I ask you tonight, I ask you, is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with God? Tonight, if tonight should be our final night, and one of these nights, or maybe the daytime, will be our final time. It'll be our final time. But if tonight should be your final night, would you welcome the sight of the Lord coming again? If you're in his arms, if you're in his body, you'll say, oh, this is a better day. This is a better day. Every once in a while, in fact, I think I did it tonight, I'll look at someone and say, how has your day gone? How has your day gone? And now, stop and think just a little bit. Well, I wonder what he means by that. I have no idea what I mean by that. But I'll tell you this. Your day will be gone one of these days. And then on that next day, what's it going to be like? Heaven? Hell? Righteousness? Condemnation? Everlasting bliss? Worms? Fire? Outer darkness? See, the choice is always ours. At your age, at your age, with the exception of maybe one or two here tonight, you can make up your mind. You can make your decision for Jesus Christ. Open your eyes and see and respond while we stand and while we sing.